Welcome to episode 33 of the first 40 miles. If you're new to backpacking, or if you're hopelessly in love with someone who wants you to love backpacking, then this podcast is for you. We'll talk about the essentials, how to lighten your load, and how to make the most of your time on the trail. I'm your host, Heather Legler. And I'm Josh Legler. And this is The First 40 Miles. Today on The First 40 Miles, the top five ways to show your love for America's public lands. On the Summit Gear Review, we'll show you how to sleep in pure comfort on a pad the size of a Nalgene bottle. Then, ditch the toothpaste and try this simple DIY option for a clean mouth. And we'll leave you with a little trail wisdom from one of the most brilliant minds from Germany, Max Planck. All this, and that's about it, today on The First 40 Miles. Well, now that the kids are out of school, it's time to kind of start planning some adventures for the summer. And our first goal was to find something that was really close to home for, you know, a little backpacking trip. Yeah, this is like something we've taken on as a personal challenge. What's the closest backpacking trip that we can find to where we live? So we have a few options that we're kind of looking at. There's a a river that's, I guess it feeds into the ocean, right? I mean, all rivers do, but... Yeah, it's it's uh, the Nestucca River that's uh, in the Oregon Coast Range. We've looked at the map, and the Coast Range is a mix of state forest, national forest, and Bureau of Land Management areas. And the Nestucca River is mostly in that BLM land And so that's probably where we're going to be, just exploring the BLM lands. And we don't know if anything's there other than just woods. We've checked online. We looked at Oregon hikers. We looked at lots of hike books. And none of them show any trails or trips uh, near this river. I think it's going to be kind of fun. This is one of those trips where we can fly by the seat of our pants because we're so close to home. And we're also close to other campgrounds. You know, if we went and drove half an hour and just ended up not finding a single thing, we could just camp at a campground. But um, it's not like our Redwoods trip where we really had to have things either locked in or we were going to be sleeping in the car. And we ended up getting close to sleeping in the car. (laughs) Yeah, we did. There were some stressful times on that trip. Well, we talked about the Redwoods trip in episode 23. And, and we shared the downsides of winging it because we decided that day one, we would wing it and we would just show up and, you know, try to find a spot somewhere. And that failed miserably because it was pouring rain all day. <laughs> and uh, yeah, there was just nothing we could do. We ended up in a hotel, of course. This time we feel like we can wing it. And we'll see. Maybe we'll come back in a couple of weeks and share our miserable winging it failure again. <laughs> but the reason we're confident about winging it this time is, one, like you say, we're a lot closer to home. So there's always that option to just go home after a nice day trip. There are five campgrounds along the river itself. So we can always get to one of those. And the big thing is it's going to be warm, sunny, and dry all weekend. So we know that no matter where we end up, we're not going to be dealing with any rain or other things that that just make it tough. The only thing that you need to make sure that you find is a water source. 
and a flat spot to put your tent. I think that's pretty much the only two considerations. Yeah, and hopefully a road that doesn't have traffic. And so that means we got to get into the woods and find a spot that's not covered with uh, brush. This is going to be a true adventure. So we are truly winging it on this trip. We'll call it our Nestucca trip because we'll be near the Nestucca River in Oregon, kind of near the coast. Yeah, so I know how it goes. (laughs) Right. I hope we're successful. I hope we find a backpacking trip that is as close as possible to where we live. And that ends up being like a hidden gem. It's guaranteed to be something that people don't know about. All right. That's that's fun. It's exciting. (laughs) Well, the 4th of July is coming up. And to me, that just means it's time to celebrate this beautiful country that we live in. I'm not much of a fireworks person. I don't think you are either, Josh, much. Uh, more than you are. Okay. Well, you're you the one that goes out with the boys, and yeah, you're right. The rest of the family, including me, usually drags <laughs> you along. You bring a good book or something. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> well, we have a top five list for you today. Whether or not you're into fireworks, it doesn't matter. This is the top five ways to show your love for America's public lands. We have a ton of resources here in America. Great land that we can use that, you know, either it's maintained really well or sometimes it's just left as wilderness. The number one way to show your love for America's public lands is to go to volunteer.gov. Now this website, I don't know how I didn't bump into it before. This is amazing. It's It's called America's Natural and Cultural Resource Volunteer Portal. And I feel like they they just put it up yesterday because I've never heard of it before. I know it's probably been up for years and years um, because it's a really great site. There's a little map that you can click on. So you can click on your state and then you can browse through the different volunteer opportunities in your state for the different government agencies. So you can go through the list of the projects that they have available. Sometimes they're projects and sometimes they're more like um, like part-time jobs that are volunteer positions. And sometimes they are, uh, you know, something like uh, collecting seeds of native plants. Hmm. And sometimes it's more like light-duty maintenance, like painting, staining, light carpentry work. That's more like an ongoing thing. So you have like the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. You have the Forest Service. You have the U.S. Geological Survey. You have the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. So lots of different government agencies have come together in this one website to post all of their volunteer opportunities. You know, this would be really cool for groups too, like a scout troop or, you know, something a a church youth group. It'd be a lot of fun. So the volunteer opportunities on there are pretty detailed. It'll tell you exactly where the opportunity is, the contact phone number, when the availability is of this project. And then it even says who the project is suitable for, you know, whether you can invite children, whether it's for seniors or adults or teens. And then it also has the difficulty level of the project. And for each of the volunteer opportunities, there is a direct link so you can find out more information and uh, speak with someone who can help you plan a service opportunity. Well, that's a great resource. So volunteer.gov. The number two way to show your love for America's public lands is to use the land. 
I think there's a common phrase that applies to this, and that's use it or lose it. If we don't use our American lands, then there's a chance that they won't get the funding that they need or the attention or the maintenance. So if we're using our lands and showing uh, showing our government that we really do need these open lands available to us, then we'll have them. I think everybody knows about national parks, national forests, wilderness areas. But I think one area that really gets underutilized is BLM lands. There's plenty of BLM land here in Oregon. I know we had a lot of it when we lived in Utah. Uh, these are less developed definitely less developed than a national park. They're typically much less visited. It's much more, I guess, rustic or rugged. Yeah. When we lived in Salt Lake City, the place that everyone went, you know, for the weekend was the canyons in the Wasatch Mountains. Well, the problem was they were so popular that you had to reserve your camp spot a year in advance. So there was no way that you could just look out the window on a Friday in June and say, wow, this is a great day to go camping. We tried that and we <laughs> drove up all of those canyons and all of the campgrounds were full and we came back home that evening. Then we discovered some BLM land that was west of Salt Lake City. It was about an hour away and it had this little campground, kind of an unimproved campground called Clover Spring. And that became our go-to spot. Because we knew that it was like guaranteed, we'd, we'd have to drive an hour to get out there, but guaranteed there would be room for us. Now, it wasn't up in the Wasatch Mountains with all the scenic areas they have up there, but it was beautiful in its own way and was just a great spot for our family to, to just hang out, go camping. Yeah, so there was no running water there, but there was a little creek that ran through Clover Springs, and there were, I think, a couple vault toilets. It was pretty rustic and really enjoyable. So the number three way to show your love for America's public lands is to be a good steward. And that means just those basics, following the rules of the trail, picking up after yourself and others, leaving it better than you found it, and then making sure to read the trail signs because they'll help you to understand and know the regulations for that area. Usually the trail signs have a pretty good list of do's and don'ts and warnings for the trail that you'll be on. And I think probably everyone who listens to this podcast has heard of Leave No Trace. But if you haven't, go look that up. And uh, there's some great principles that you can learn about how to uh, respect and protect the environment. Yeah, and we'll focus on that in a future episode. I know um, Leave No Trace, when I first started reading about it, when I was kind of first introduced to it, seemed so, um, so strict. Like <laughs> I was kind of like, people actually do this? But I guess the more you're outdoors and you see the impact of some of the things that people, you know, the impact of humans on trails, LNT or Leave No Trace starts to make a lot more sense. The number four way to show your love for America's public lands is to teach and inspire the next generation. You know, we just had our children and backpacking episode where we talked a little bit about taking our children out into the woods. And we also shared the top five outdoor skills that your child needs to know. So if you missed the children and backpacking episode, that's number 29, thefirst40miles.com slash 029. You can grab it there. Both of us over the years have volunteered for the Boy Scouts of America in, in Boy Scouts and Cub Scouts. And I grew up 
as a scout. And I have so much gratitude to the scout leaders that I had who volunteered their time and their resources to take me out scouting. They did an amazing job of helping me to get that appreciation of the outdoors. Um, And not only that, it was leadership skills and responsibility and all these other things that they taught. So um, volunteering for the scouts is a great way to teach the next generation. In addition to the Boy Scouts of America, obviously there's the Girl Scouts and there's many other organizations that take kids into the outdoors. So lots of opportunities there. Yeah, even at our local elementary school, they have something called outdoor school where parents can volunteer for a few days and go out with the kids and give them this great outdoor experience that they may not have had otherwise. Although we live in Oregon, so I'm hoping... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Heck, just the walk to school is an outdoor experience. <laughs> trees everywhere. It's great. The number five way to show your love for America's public lands is to learn about the different public lands that are near you. Now, if you look at a map of the United States, there are definitely a lot more public lands available on the west side of the United States as opposed to the east side. There's just bigger chunks of it, I guess. But there are definitely a lot of opportunities on the East Coast also. So if you learn about the different public lands that are available to you, you'll kind of know what resources you have within maybe just half an hour of your house. Yeah, today I've kind of highlighted the BLM lands really to keep an eye out for those. And national forests, national parks, what else? There's the national recreation areas, there's wilderness, There's some really great resources, and they all kind of have their different purpose and uh, different things that you can do on those lands. Beyond that, there's state lands. In Oregon, we have a lot of state forest land, so that's an option. And you might even look at tribal lands. There's tribal land near us that has a campground in it that is actually free. You just call up the tribal office and reserve a spot. Wow, what an awesome way to enjoy authentic American land. There you go. They had the original original land. Yeah, and we've really been focusing on public lands, but while you're at it, it's actually okay to look at private lands. Again, Oregon has lots of private forest land that's owned by companies like Weyerhaeuser. And uh, many times they don't allow overnight camping, but uh, many of these landowners do allow hiking and day use on their private lands. Too often we assume that private lands are closed to the public, and it's not necessarily the case. But you just, you gotta check. And, And the hardest thing is figuring out who owns that land so that you can find out what the rules are. You know, I guess what this top five list all boils down to is learning about the resources that are available to us, doing something about them, protecting them, honoring them, and then sharing and teaching others about them. I think it's a great way to show our love for America. Oh, and by the way, yesterday I saw a bald eagle fly straight over my head. I thought that was the perfect pre-show yeah. It got me all inspired for this show. Like, <laughs> I love America. Well, and to our international listeners, you live in a great country too. But come here. Come hang out. Come see our public lands. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome anytime. One of the iconic items on the silhouette of a backpacker is the sleeping pad. 
It's just something that sticks out on either side of the backpack and it's really pretty much impossible to compress it or get it down any smaller than that if you're using a closed cell foam sleeping pad. Yeah, closed cell pads are so bulky and you just you don't want to waste all that space inside your pack so you strap it on the outside and it ends up knocking people off the trail and it just widens you and they're cheap and they work but we have a really cool option that we are going to review today on the summit gear review it's called the climate static v2 sleeping pad and climate is spelled k-l-y M-I-T. So this is a sleeping pad that actually collapses down into the size of a Nalgene water bottle, which means instead of strapping it to the outside of your pack and knocking people off the trail with it, you can actually put it inside of your pack. It ends up compressing down to about four by eight inches when it's packed in its little stuff sack. The Climate Static V2 weighs about a pound. In fact, they weighed it in at 16.8. Three, three ounces. When it's inflated, it's a really generous size. It's 72 inches by 23 inches wide with a two and a half inch thickness. This pad has some really great design features. It has V-shaped chambers that really limit the air movement and heat loss, although it has an R value of 1.3, which really means that it's meant for summer camping. And those chambers that the pad has means that you're less likely to roll off of your pad in the middle of the night. We actually took this on our Redwoods backpacking trip and had some really good experiences with comfort. However, the R value didn't quite match up with the backpacking season that we used it in. And so I would really recommend this pad for summer backpacking. It's so comfortable, but not quite as warm as some other options out there. This pad is made of 30 denier polyester on the top and 75 denier polyester on the bottom. Now, what is denier? Denier is a measurement of the density of a fiber. Silk is one denier, a, a silk thread. Now, it, it's a really interesting measure. What you do is you take a 9,000 meter strand of the fiber. Yeah, 9,000 meter strand of silk, for example. <laughs> and you weigh it. And however many grams it is, that's your denier. So can you believe that? Nine kilometers of a single strand of silk weighs a gram. It's crazy. Wow. Yeah, so that's 5.6 miles. Or another way to look at it is that one ounce of silk would cover 157 miles. That's amazing. <laughs> that's mind-blowing. So anyway, that's one denier. And uh, this pad you said is 30 on the top and 75 denier on the bottom. Right. That's kind of in the range of tents. So tents are usually in the kind of that 30 to 60 denier range, the tent fabric. Um, by comparison, it's, it's a much lower denier than backpacks, which are in the hundreds of denier. And it's a higher denier than sleeping bags. You know, the, the shell of a sleeping bag is typically like in the 10 to 30 range. So that gives you some comparisons. Or pluck a hair out of your head, that's 20 denier. Are you serious? Yeah, on average. Mine's probably more like a 60. <laughs> <laughs> so it's great that it has a much more rugged bottom 
where it would get roughed up and possible punctures would happen, you're going to have a lot more protection there on the bottom. And for those of us who are used to using thermarest pads and pushing all the air out, it's kind of a tedious process, they're going to love using this Climate Static V2 because the air really comes out quickly. It has a really quick, um, easy to use push valve, so it's tons easier to deflate than the Thermarest pads because it has a different, it's kind of a different interior. Yeah, so that's because there's nothing inside. You're just blowing air in and then the air comes back out when you deflate it. Whereas something like a Thermarest has that foam inside to make it self-inflating, sort of self-inflating. This really is a great pad for summertime camping because it has an R value of 1.3. And in the wintertime, you probably want double that R value. Um, so another science lesson here. <laughs> we talked about denier. We should talk about R value as well. First of all, R value comes in two different units depending on whether you're in the U.S. or the rest of the world. And so we're using the U.S. units. Uh, you would need to divide by 5.6 to get the SI or international units. So for example, uh, a U.S. R value of 5.6 would be an international R value of 1. So two different measurement methods. To draw some comparisons with R value, R value refers to how well a substance conducts heat or transfers heat. A higher R value means that there's less heat transfer through that substance. So in other words, more insulating factor. For comparison, snow has an R value of one. So this pad insulates about as well as snow does, just a little bit better. Now the problem with snow, of course, is if you warm it up, it turns into water. And can you guess what the R value is on water? Uh, 0.01? <laughs> yeah, it rounds to zero. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so water does not insulate. <laughs> um, and, and in fact, it, it moves around so it can very, very efficiently transfer heat. So that's the problem with snow. It becomes water. Uh, wood also has an R value in that same range. Uh, hardwoods are like a 0.7 and then softwoods are like 1.4. So the climate static V, um, oh, and this is per, per inch. So sleeping on the cli climate static V, which is a couple inches thick, is about equivalent to sleeping on a board of pine that's one inch thick in terms of R value, not comfort. Oh, definitely. <laughs> Concrete, 0.1 R value. So imagine sleeping right on the ground, that's going to be pretty close to the same as concrete, a very low R value. Now a vacuum chamber, you know, one inch thick, uh, has an R value of 30 to 50. So if you could figure out a way to bring a vacuum chamber on a backpacking trip, you know, instead of blowing up the pad with air, you sucked all the air out and it was still an inch thick and it was comfortable, you'd have it made. So we'll wait for someone to invent that. But in the meantime, yeah, this R value of 1.3, it's not a lot of insulating factor. So really is more of a summertime pad. And definitely meant for pure comfort. And we do have an option if insulation is important. Climate does have an insulated version of the Static V2. For maintenance, it actually comes with a repair kit in case you have on the trail punctures and there is always the risk of punctures when you're using an open cell pad. So definitely bring the patch kit with you. 
for this pad comes in at about $60. However, we told you about an insulated version of this pad, which weighs just nine ounces more. It has an R rating of 4.4 and comes in just $30 more than the Climate Static V2. So that's definitely an option if you're interested in something with a high R value, but something that's really comfortable and still not that heavy. I love that it compresses down so small and it's really, I think it's a great value for a pad. So we took this pad on our Redwoods trip, right? Uh, how did it work out for you? You know, it really was a dream to lay on, like superbly comfortable. And I had really high hopes because I had a 20 degree sleeping bag and I thought, oh, this will be fine. We were still, it was relatively warm during the day, but it cooled down a little bit cooler than I expected at night. And the R value of 1.3 just did not keep up with those temperatures. And I honestly thought that the sleeping bag was going to save me. I thought with a warm sleeping bag, then a lower R value pad wouldn't matter as much but it really does. You want a pad that matches the temperatures that you'll be camping in. Yeah, the sleeping bag, the, the part of the sleeping bag that's underneath you is all compressed by your weight. And so it really kind of loses its value. And the pad is the next layer that, that gives you that chance to stay warm. Yeah, so if you're going to be doing shoulder season backpacking, then I would definitely recommend a more insulated pad However, if you're going to be doing mostly summertime backpacking, then this pad, like I said, it's pure comfort. It was easy to inflate. I counted and it took exactly 15 <laughs> breaths. It was super simple to deflate. It really packed up easily, packed up well, uh, has a little stuff sack that it comes with. Just insanely comfortable. I was also wondering, was it noisy? I, there's some pads that are so crinkly. It's amazing how the person sleeping on it actually gets any sleep. No, this wasn't crinkly at all. So I have tried those crinkly pads. Um, I've just tested them out in the outdoor store, and uh, this wasn't anything like that. So the Climate Static V2 pad, that's what we reviewed today. Bottom line is that it's super comfortable, very easy to inflate and deflate, but a very low R value. So if you need a higher R value, then go for the insulated version of this pad uh, for $30 more. And, you know, even if you don't buy this pad, I think we shared some things that are important to consider when you're looking at pads. So the R value, of course, is important to consider. The comfort is important, which has a lot to do with the thickness of the pad. Obviously, if it's thicker, it should be more comfortable. But then there's those other considerations like, do you slip around on it? Um, how durable is it? And how noisy is it <laughs> when you're sleeping on it? So keep those in mind as, as you uh, shop for a pad. For today's backpack hack of the week, we have a do-it-yourself tooth powder. Now, I think before toothpaste was even invented, people back in the olden days, well, I guess they had a couple options. They either let their teeth fall out or... They use tooth powder and it's just basically baking soda. And if you want to make it high class tooth powder, you can also mix a few drops of essential oil in it. And the most popular essential oil would probably be peppermint. So all you need to do is put some baking soda 
in a tiny screw top lidded plastic jar. And then you can mix one or two drops of peppermint essential oil in there with a toothpick and then put the lid back on. And then when you're ready to use it, all you need to do is wet your toothbrush, dip it in, and then brush away. And if you haven't used essential oils before, just know they are very strongly scented. Like they're they're all natural, they're straight from the plant. Um, but you'll wanna definitely pack this with your food so animals aren't attracted to it and they won't try and chew through your pack thinking that it is food. Another option is you can just leave the baking soda unscented and that won't attract any animals. Frequently I'll use baking soda to brush my teeth and it's it's for the strong of heart. It is definitely an acquired uh, experience. Like you'll definitely maybe want to try it out at home. Don't get any baking soda on your tongue. Just brush your teeth and then rinse out with water because it is eh, bad biscuits. <laughs> <laughs> You know, when like the ones that I made (laughs) last week where I used baking soda instead of baking powder. And so, of course, baking powder contains the soda plus the acid to neutralize it. And baking soda by itself didn't get neutralized. So whatever I made was a little bit on the bitter side. I couldn't be too hard on you, though, because I've done that before, too. So, yeah, this this reminds me of bad biscuits. (laughs) But it's effective, and then you won't have, you know, toothpaste leaking in your pack or anything like that. And, of course, baking soda by itself is a really great multi-use item. Yeah, and it's ultra-light. So if you're taking toothpaste, toothpaste has water in it to make it pasty. Mm -hmm. So you take all the water out, and all of a sudden you've got something very light. And, of course, you're taking a very small container of this baking soda. I mean, it's going to, a very little amount last all week, no problem. So it's a super simple hack that's super cheap. Uh, The essential oils are kind of optional, um, and it's ultra light. We'll leave you with a little trail wisdom from our good friend on the trail, Max Planck. Now, Max Planck is not a name that I was very familiar with. Um, I guess he is in the category with Albert Einstein. Brilliant man. He's the originator of quantum theory, and he got his claim to fame by, of course, winning the Nobel Prize, as we all know, in 1918. We all remember that moment. So Max Planck said, science cannot solve the ultimate mystery of nature. And that is because in the last analysis, we ourselves are a part of the mystery that we are trying to solve. That's it for today. Thank you for listening. If you liked this podcast, follow us on Facebook and Twitter or review us on iTunes. We'll see you next time on The First 40 Miles. the other thing (laughs) i can't remember i'm not going to say anything else (laughs) come i know people are people yeah and yellowstone is awesome i feel sad that people can't come see
some of our cool yeah, stuff. Everyone should be able to see that, huh? Everyone should be. Yeah. That's like, yeah. That's All right. amazing. So <laughs> we're going to become a uh, political talk radio show now. Oh, huh? no. I just, I'm like a squirrel. <laughs> no, I'm like a dog who sees a squirrel. Oh, I'm so confused.